When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped, streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. You got to have the discipline to execute it every day. And I think this is where people struggle. I don't care what the, lots of people know what they want to do. Lots of people even know what they have to do to do it, but they struggle to execute it every day because they don't have the self-discipline to be able to make the right choices and decisions on a consistent enough basis to get it done. Today's podcast is from a clinic I moderated with Nick Saban for the Alabama High School Football Coaches Association. We have a question and answer session with the head football coach at Alabama, Nick Saban, and he's going to answer some various questions that were presented by the audience. Just some incredible stuff from Coach here, and you can get Coach tonight on the Louisiana Football Coaches Association Clinic. He'll be doing the Q&A there as well. Replays are available from last night's session, which included Sean Payton and Steve Sarkeesian from Texas. If you want to check that out at lfca.coachesclinic.com. It's $25. You get the entire clinic, both live and replay. Great lineup tonight. Again, as I mentioned, Coach Saban, Eric Enemy, and other coaches. Check out that lineup at lfca.coachesclinic.com. What you see on tape is a direct reflection of what you teach and how you teach. Video is important, but if you don't teach well, you're not going to like what you see on your video. First Down Playbook has been helping coaches teach better for 13 years. It allows you to present installs, playbooks, and practice cards in half the time with NFL quality. Coaching tools like video pairing, a player app, practice schedules, and wristband sheets have made First Down Playbook a program management system with everything in one place. If you're in a position of leadership with your football program, receive a free one-week look at First Down Playbook. Call them at 512-814-6158 or visit them on their website or social media. Mention Coach and Coordinator Podcast or use the coupon code COACH24 to receive a $100 discount off the normal $700 First Down Playbook team membership price. Links and the phone number are in the show notes. As coaches, we know that some of the biggest hurdles to our team's success can come from off the field. Your team needs support to tackle the endless list of expenses, uniforms, training equipment, travel, and more. But raising that money can feel like a full-time job. Thankfully, there's Vertical Raise. Vertical Raise is the premier online fundraising platform. 
using innovative technology to create the easiest and most efficient system available. Raise more money in less time with a local fundraising coach who works with your team every step of the way to customize the ideal fundraiser. With options for online donations, digital discount cards, premium product sales, and even spirit shops, Vertical Raise has top-of-the-line solutions for every fundraising style. To find out more, visit verticalraise.com and we'll get you connected with an exclusive offer on your first fundraiser. Here's the Q&A with Coach Saban. I think the first thing I'd like to say is we certainly appreciate what each and every one of you guys do in terms of the hard work that you do to get young people involved in, you know, our game of football and what you do in developing players. Obviously, the success that we have here is all because of the players we have and a significant number of those guys have come from the state of Alabama, have come from your programs. I can't tell you how much uh, we appreciate that. You've heard me say this many times before, and I think sometimes you guys maybe lose sight of this a little bit because young people don't always tell you how much they appreciate what you do for them, but probably the person that had uh, as much influence and was probably the most significant mentor in my life, especially in my early years, was my high school coach and probably had more to do with getting me going in the right direction other than my parents, probably than anybody that I know. And you don't always go back and tell people how much you appreciate what they do, but I know a lot of the players that you've been involved with, the guys that you've helped, the leadership that you provided, the example that you set in terms of being somebody that they can emulate and you know, caring for them, for their benefit, so that they have a better chance to be successful in life is something that I think makes our profession great. This is the greatest profession, I think, you know, in the world because, you know, we have an opportunity to lead, you know, and people ask me all the time, you know, how do you keep doing this? Why do you keep doing this? You know, I love coaching. I love the players. I love the relationships that you have with the players. But I think one of the biggest things that I enjoy the most is having a chance to to be in a position of leadership where you have a chance to impact you know so many people in your program in your organization especially the players uh, and I think that's makes what we do very very rewarding I know that we all have challenges I know that you guys would probably look at me and say you know what was the difference in this team and other teams that you've coached and I can honestly say that this was one of our best teams when it, I'm not talking about the best players on the team. I'm just talking about the best teams. I'm talking about, you know, everybody buying into the principles and values of the organization, trusting and respecting in the things that we were trying to do with them to help them be successful and trusting and respecting each other. This is probably as good a group as we've ever had. They were very positive and how they went out to do their work every day. And in, in a time where we had a tremendous amount of disruptions, I told the players in the beginning, You know, the team that handles the disruptions the best is the team that's going to have the best opportunity to be successful in the end. And these guys did a phenomenal job of handling those disruptions, but actually the disruptions, not being here in March, April, and May, doing a lot of Zooms, uh, created a lot more togetherness on our team. You know, something was taken away from these guys, and I think it made them appreciate more the opportunity that they had, the team that they were on, their teammates. And I think that really, you know, helped us become a closer team. And these guys were very, very responsible to each other, 
and to what their job was to help the team be successful. And this didn't happen just on the field. It happened off the field. Academically, we had the fewest points we've ever had in terms of guys doing what they were supposed to do. So people were really responsible for their own self-determination and the work ethic, the positive energy. We didn't have any complaining on our team this year. And I think it was reflected on the way they played. And to be quite honest with you, I thought when Waddle got hurt up at Tennessee, said, man, we have a really dynamic offense. This guy's like Allen Iverson. He scores 30 points a game for us by what he does for the offense. You know, it's going to be really hard to, you know, overcome that for our team. And they just never skipped the beat. Everybody, you know, picked it up. Smitty did twice as much as he's ever done and had a great year. And Mac played better. And offensive line was great. Defensively, we improved as the year went on. So this was truly a team. And probably... The 2009 team was probably the other team that had a lot of this team chemistry and togetherness and everybody buying into the principles and values of the organization so they had a chance to be successful. But those guys all came here when we really weren't very good and they had something to prove. So it was really special to be a part of this group. And I think that, you know, I always talk to you guys, you know, you always ask me like, the offense or the defense or the, what we do on special teams is the most important thing. And, and I always tell you that, you know, mindset is probably the most important thing. You know, not necessarily the game plan, not necessarily. You got to be able to adjust in the game. You got to be sound in what you're doing. You got to have good knowledge. You got to do a good job of preparing the players. But the mindset of the players goes so far in terms of being able to be successful. And I'm talking about they have to have a vision and a goal for what they want to do. And they and we have to define it. You have to define it. I have to define it. Exactly what do they have to do to meet that goal? All right, that's 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 in life. That's in anything that we do. You know, it's called process. And instead of focusing on the outcome, I focus on what you need to do to get the outcome. And I think that's something that this team did really, really well. But I think the hardest thing about all that is, and the third part of that is, you got to have the discipline to execute it every day. And I think this is where people struggle. I don't care what the, lots of people know what they want to do. Lots of people even know what they have to do to do it, but they struggle to execute it every day because they don't have the self-discipline to be able to make the right choices and decisions on a consistent enough basis to get it done. And you probably heard me define discipline a lot of different ways, you know, do what you're supposed to do when you're supposed to do it, the way it's supposed to get done, do the right thing, the right way, the right time, all the time. I, but when you talk about self-discipline, you know, we make probably a hundred choices every day that comes down to these two questions. Here's something I know I'm supposed to do that I really don't want to do. Can you make yourself do it? And then the next question is, here's something I know I'm not supposed to do, right, but I want to do it. Can you keep yourself from it? If you can make those choices and decisions correctly, and if players on your team can make those choices and decisions correctly, they're going to be able to edit their behavior in a way that's always going to keep them on the path of doing the things they need to do to accomplish the goals they have. And it comes down a lot to feeling versus choice. I mean, how many guys do you say, I don't feel like practicing today. I don't feel like studying. I don't feel like going to class. I really don't care what you feel like doing. Uh, you need to choose to do the things you need to do to accomplish the goals that you have. And you have to do it on a daily basis. And it takes a lot of self-discipline, you know, to do that. And, you know, I talk about discipline a lot and, you know, players look at me sometimes like we're going to get discipline on the field. 
I look at them and say, do you, do you develop strength on the field or do you develop strength in the weight room and take it to the field? I say, you develop discipline when you get up at eight o'clock in the morning and decide whether you're going to go to class or not. Decide whether you're going to do the right thing, whether, whether you're going to make the choices and decisions to do the right things all the time. And if you're a disciplined person, then you take it to the field. So d- discipline is something that you do 24-7. And I think to have a, a strong team, a strong organization, and to have people who are making choices and decisions that are going to help them be successful, that's exactly what you have to do. So is there anybody that has any questions or issues for me? Yes, sir. We have one here from Jonathan Rye. He wants to know what are some of the drills, the things you do during in-season and off-season to help with discipline? Well, I, I think that, you know, a lot of things that you can do on the field that players really don't understand. I mean, like if you say, put your hand behind the line, all right, if you're going to run a 10-yard sprint, that means your hand's got to be the line, behind the line. I think if you say you got to run through the line, then these are not suggestions, all right? They're things that people have to buy into and believe that they're going to help them. And a lot of players can't understand how does put my hand behind the line really ever help me play better? Well, it's all choices and decisions. You know, if you make the wrong choices and decisions in something like that, then I think you're going to might make the wrong choice and decision when you're supposed to be looking at the tight end and that's your key and you're looking at the quarterback and you're looking in the backfield and you can't cover your man. I, I think you got to cut, confront and demand when you define the expectation of how you want something done. I, I don't think there can be any compromises in that. But I also think, you know, you have to confront players. You know, I always ask players, A, what are your goals and aspirations for what you want to do? So as soon as they tell me that, I'm good. All right, but then when they don't do the things that they're supposed to do and they don't have good discipline to create the right habits to be able to accomplish those things, I'm going to call them in and I'm going to sit down and I'm going to say, tell me how this behavior is going to help you accomplish the goals that you have. And most of the time when you make it about them, they can really see how these choices and decisions are not really beneficial to them. And I'm constantly telling them stories about reinforcing in little ways. Like one of the things, you know, most of our players and probably most of your players, you know, they all want to play in the NFL. You know, maybe they all want to go to college uh, and play, have a chance to play college football. But, you know, I spent eight years in the NFL. And uh, that means I sat through eight drafts, two of them as a coordinator. and I mean, four of them as a coordinator and two of them as a head coach. So, probably listened to a thousand draft reports, you know, in every one of those drafts. And after a while, the two most compelling words in a draft report was and and but. And what do I mean by that? I mean, they always read the player first. All right, I'll talk about DBs, quick feet, change of direction, good ball skills, good tackler, can play the ball in a deep part of the field, can play man to man. He's got toughness and he's a good person. Graduated from school. Coaches loved him. He was captain of the team. All right. Then they read the same player and they say, but, you know, he had a positive drug test, had a domestic violence charge against him. He got in a fight in a bar. So who you want on your team and or, but. So if you want to create value for yourself and your future, 
you got to make good choices and decisions, which comes back to your own personal discipline right, and how you decide who you want to be and what you want to do. But if you want to accomplish these things, you can't give anybody any reason to say, but, because what comes after, but usually not good. And you control that. That's, that's something that you can control. So don't look over your shoulder at what everybody else is doing. I right, try to do what you're supposed to do in a way that's going to create value for you and your future in terms of the things that you want to accomplish and do. So I think all these things go hand in hand. I right, players telling you what they want to do. I, and then you being able to reflect back at them, how, how, how does their behavior reflect on what they want to do? And most of the time when you make it about them and they can see themselves in that way, it, it has an impact and, and they really do respond, you know, much better. So every drill that we do in football has a starting point and some place to finish. I, and these things are all small things that are part of discipline. Discipline eye control is really important if you're going to be a good football player, looking at the right things, getting the right keys, reading the right things, taking the right steps. And you're constantly trying to show players, even if you have to take them in individually and show them exactly how they should have done it and how it could have impacted them having a better chance to be successful. So players that have goals and aspirations Players that have respect for the critical eye, right, which means that's us as coaches right, and trying to teach them and help them to play better. They're all going to have a better chance of being successful uh, in the future. And none of them can do it if they don't have discipline. So clearly define what someone's supposed to do. Right, and then they have the opportunity to make the choice and decision to do it or not to do it. And then you have the choice to be able to correct them in a positive way and show them how those behaviors are going to impact their ability to be successful in the future and accomplish the goals that they have. I've always been interested in the use of technology to make our jobs more effective. So I'm excited to continue sharing modern football technology with you here on the podcast. This innovative system leverages tendencies to improve self-scouting, game planning, and in-game decision-making at the speed of the game. Modern football stands out because it's a battle-tested platform used by teams at all levels, like four-time national champion Bishop Gorman, the five-time California state champion Folsom Bulldogs, six-time Texas state champion Lake Travis, Cal football, and the CFL's Grey Cup champions, the Montreal Alouettes. So book a demo today to see why these teams trust modern football technology. Visit www dot team m-o-f-o dot com slash demo and mention coaching coordinator podcast or use the coupon code cc10 to receive 10 percent off your first year because we got a question about uh using a point system do you still use a point system as opposed to a winning grade to promote buy-in from your players we do both um so we, we want to grade a player to know what his efficiency is in terms of how many opportunities did he have, how many times did he do his job correctly, and is he playing winning football? No one's going to play 100% and have 100% grade. Right? But you kind of have some kind of grade that you need a guy to play 85% of the time he's doing the right thing. So we still do that, but we don't really put an emphasis on is this a winning grade or isn't it a winning grade? We use it more as a tool for, okay, what do we need to do with this particular player to help him play better? 
and what does he need to do to improve relative to this grade. The second thing we do is for defensive players and special teams players is, you know, we have a production point system where a guy gets positive points for tackles, assists, causing a fumble, recovering a fumble, getting an interception, making a tackle for a loss, getting a sack, whatever. But he also can get negative points for missed tackles, missed assignments, mental errors, and things like that. So what is the cumulative effect of a guy's production as a player? And, you know, ironically enough, of all the best players that we've ever had here, whether they're on defense or special teams, they're the most productive players. They're probably pretty efficient in how they play their position, put themselves in the right position, which gives them the best opportunity to make plays. And then obviously they have enough ability to finish those plays when they get the opportunities. So it's a combination of what's a guy's production and what's his consistency and performance relative to did he do his job on a consistent basis. So we still do both of those things. So I'm going to consolidate a couple questions here on hiring coaches and uh, Danny Adelhart wanted to know just uh, about hiring head coaches because they they've been there. They know what, uh, what things go into this and what you're going through. Another is evaluation process when you're hiring staff members outside of their resume, what are the qualities that matter most? Well, the first thing I look at when I'm want to hire somebody is what kind of character they have because their character goes a long way in saying what kind of example are they going to set and are, are they going to set a good example and be somebody that the players can emulate relative to their actions and how they do what they do and the example that they set. You know, people that have good character usually care about other people. And I don't, I don't think players really care what you know until they know that you care. So that's, that's a big part of it for me. The second thing is, is what kind of ability do they have to communicate? And I think this is important in two ways. How, how do you develop relationships with players? Because I think that's really important. So if you can communicate well, that's probably going to be a step in the right direction. If you have good character, that's going to be another step in the right direction. And the second part of that is how do you fit with the rest of the people that you have to work with on a day-to-day -day basis? So how are you going to fit in with the rest? Of the, and if you have ability to communicate and develop relationship with your coworkers, that's going to mean you have a better chance to, to fit. You also can develop relationships in recruiting, which is really, really important. So those are the two things that I look for first. And the third thing would be knowledge. I don't think there's any substitute for knowledge. People who have put in hard work right, to sort of gain the knowledge they need to have to be able to teach and execute with the players so that the players have a, a chance to go out on the field and be able to perform you know, the way they're capable of. And that knowledge is going to help them develop players. And knowledge is just not what you know about football but how you're going to teach it, what, how, and why it's important to do that is really a big part of teaching. So good teaching progression, good knowledge, and being flexible and not thinking there's only one way to do something. So I think those are the things. Someone's resume only tells me, are they qualified to do the job? You know, a lot of people are intimidated by people who are good. I want the best people. And I'm one of the ones that have the best track record, most experience, because I think those are the people that are going to add most to our organization. They're going to bring new energy, new enthusiasm, new ideas because of their knowledge and experience. And it's going to be most helpful to us and our program and to me personally and how we manage what we have to do on a day-to-day -day basis to try to build 
and have a good team, which every year to me, you start all over with your team. I mean, it's like I just took the job at, you know, the University of Japan. I and we're starting a new program. That's that's how it starts every year. You got new team, you got new leaders, people have to buy in in a different way. You got young players who are less experienced that are going to have to fill roles. Everybody's role changes on the team when you lose players. And we all lose about 25% of our team every year. So the better the coaches, the more experienced they are, the better they can develop relationships, the more knowledge they have. It's going to make all that stuff go better. Coach, got a, a question on stats that are important to you. So outside of turnover and field position, what other stat would be correlating with winning in today's football? Two stats that to me correlate to winning more than anything else is turnovers and explosive plays. All right, so whether you get them on defense and don't give up explosive plays or whether you get them on offense and you don't turn the ball over and you make explosive plays, those two things probably equate to winning as much as anything. You know, beyond that, you know, there's some basic goals that you always have. You want to be able to stop the run. You want to get turnovers. You want to not give up explosive plays, have efficiency in pass defense, play well in the red zone play well in special situations, whether it's two minute, two minute before the half, two minute at the end of the game, goal line, short yardage, all those types of things, four minute at the end of the game. All right. So there's some nitty gritty goals that go into helping those things. Uh, But at the end of the day, if defensively you don't give up big plays, you play good on third down and get off the field when you get the opportunities to, and you play well in the red zone, uh, all, all of a sudden, you know, you kind of get hard to score on. And I think you want to score points on offense and you want to be hard to score on on defense. I would say, but the two things that are most significant to me in winning and losing is turnover ratio and explosive play ratio. And in all of our big games that we track all these things, games we lose, we turn the ball over. I mean, we, we show our, our team a chart every week all right, of Okay, here's the teams in the country that have a plus one, plus two, plus three. This is their record. Zero turnover ratio, minus one, minus two, minus three. I mean, the teams that have a plus turnover ratio are like 35 and three, and the teams that have a minus ratio are like three and 35. I mean, it's, it's amazing how that impacts the outcome of games. And in the games that we've struggled with, given up a lot of points and lost, we always give up a lot of explosive plays. We give up more explosive plays than we get. Right? And that's, that's you know, pretty common for us. I mean, it's not common that we do it. It's a pretty common statistic that we struggle when, when that happens. Because we've got a question about practice. How much of your game week practice is based on scout team looks versus just playing fast against your defense? Well, for offense and defense alike, most periods in practice on Tuesdays and Wednesdays we're going to mirror some good on good period. So we're going to do team run for 12 plays against the scouts. And then we're going to do 12 plays, six and six, six with the first team, six with the second team, good on good. Do seven on seven. We do 18 plays against the scouts in nine minutes. And then we do nine minutes, 16 plays against the offense, good on good. Then we do blitz and team period. And at the end of practice, we do 20 plays a team, good on good. So we're always going to implement some good on good. Uh, it's good for the players to get looks of what the other team's going to do. But there's a lot of similarities in a power play is a power play, a counter play is a counter play, an inside and outside zone is the same whether we run it or the other team runs it. So I think fundamentally, 
good players playing against good players is always going to help them develop. And uh, so that's how we try to split it up, you know, in practice as much as we can. We always do some good on good. I've got a question about just recent trends in offensive football that you see happening now that could become more popular maybe over the next five or 10 years. Well, you've heard me say this before, you know, you guys that are on offense, you're, you're in the Taliban, man. Uh, I mean, what, what you guys do on offense now is like it's affecting world peace. So RPOs, blocking downfield on passes behind the line of scrimmage, you know, those two rules probably significantly changed football more than anything that I can say creates tremendous run pass conflicts for the defensive players. And it's really, you know, it's made the game more exciting. It's made, made the game be played, you know, horizontally and vertically using more of the field, which makes it harder to defend. So I would say anybody that doesn't utilize those two things in their offense is not taking advantage of the rules that we have in college football now. And I think it's they're the same in high school for the most part because some of those things are very, very difficult to defend. Coach, last one here, just on leadership and culture and looking at what you might be doing moving ahead, ideas that you have for this next year and how to improve culture, how to improve leadership. Well, we're always looking for a better way. You know, the culture of this program is what has created the consistency over the last, you know, 12, 13 years because, you know, interesting we define the expectation of our players as people, as students, and as football players. We're going to try to surround them with the best people to set a good example so that they can be the best version of themselves in all those areas. And we're going to try to help them to create an ability to be responsible for their own self-determination in all those areas. All right. So we're always trying to improve on that culture. Right, but the culture here doesn't change a lot in terms of what those expectations are. And I'll give you an example. Year before last, Julio Jones was here, you know, watching seven on seven in the summertime. And of course, the coaches aren't allowed on the field, you know, during that time or anything like that. So he was out there just watching and the receiver dropped the ball, missed the ball, kicked it, started cussing, wanted to fuss at the defensive backs and all that stuff. And, you know, Julio calls the guy over and says, that's not how we do it here. Now, Julio ain't played here for 10 years, right? but he understood the culture when he was here, and he knows that's the expectation that's here now. Right? And our players know that they have to represent that tradition and culture in everything that they do. They understand that it's been successful. It's helped players be successful. It's helped our teams be successful. So even though we're always trying to improve on that culture, that, that is why we have the success that we have because everybody has a standard and an expectation, which I don't care. All of you have a standard and expectation. Somebody's creating it in your job. And if you don't do it and you're not responsible to it, uh, you're probably going to get fired. Right? And it's no different for our players or anybody else or for me, for that matter. We always take what we did the year before and see how can we improve it? How can we make it better? Is there some part of our organization that we can improve on? But the culture itself, which is the expectation that we have and the standard that we have personally, academically and athletic for our players, that doesn't get compromised. That doesn't get changed. We're always trying to make it better. You know, it's the old saying, you know, what what's right is right. Uh, and we're going to make people do right because that's going to give them the best chance to be successful.
Thank you again to the Alabama High School Football Coaches Association for presenting that clinic. You can catch Coach Saban tonight for another Q&A. Whatever questions you might want answered, get in there. It's at lfca.coachesclinic.com. $25 for the entire clinic. Replays available till April 10th. You don't want to miss this one. It's just a power-packed lineup, including Sean Payton, Steve Sarkeesian, Nick Saban, Eric Bieniemy, coordinators at LSU, Pete and Durante Jones, Terry Joseph from Texas, Patrick Tony from Louisiana, Chris Horton from the Baltimore Ravens, and we just added two more, St. Sanders Davis from Rice, offensive line coach, and Rich Rodriguez from ULM. Check it out at lfca.coachesclinic.com. Follow me on Twitter at Coach K. Grabowski and check out all we're doing on coaching coordinator at coachandcoordinator.com.